4: Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, as well as the mobile app. Hopefully everybody had a very relaxful Memorial Day weekend. Good to be back up and running. He's Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So, Let's address the elephant in the room for those of you who are watching the program as opposed to those that are listening because I'm sure we're going to get calls. Paul and I did not plan on this, but apparently there's a new rule that was implemented to wear matching shirts moving forward here for the show. (laughs) So I wanted to make sure that everybody understood we are simply just following the rules and regulations that the team has instituted beginning today.
2: These are considered the Sunday whites on a Tuesday.
4: Yes. Well, this is not your typical week, right? It's a shortened week. So we figured we'd... Okay. Mix things up a little bit. Yes. Now that we got that out of the way, we can return to our normally scheduled programming here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And today we want to focus on free agency. NFL.com has an interesting article, Paul. They have the top 12 free agents that are still available. And clearly the news that broke over the last few days, DeAndre Hopkins is now free to sign wherever he wants because the Arizona Cardinals did part ways with him as opposed to working out a trade. And on top of that, how it relates to the Giants, we figured we'd look back all the offseason additions the Giants made, only through free agency, not trades, and who perhaps could have the biggest impact on offense and defense, Paul and I will each give... Our contender with respect to that department. And obviously, we will field your phone calls and your tweets throughout the remainder of the program. So, Paul, let's first look at NFL.com's list of top 12 free agents that are still available. And no surprise, DeAndre Hopkins now is atop mm-hmm. the list because, in fairness, and this is where timing is everything, right? Not just in the NFL in life. If Hopkins hit the free agent market much earlier in the offseason, the level of interest would probably be through the roof at this point because you'd have a lot more teams that would have more flexibility with respect to the salary cap.
2: No doubt. And look, I don't know what his asking price is going to be, but obviously that's going to inhibit some teams who would love to add him to their roster simply because they can't afford him. Uh, We will see how this all shakes down. We've seen so many different articles over the course of the past week about where he would fit on some rosters and then other stories that said, well, these are the teams that tried to acquire him in a trade, did not do so. So perhaps they would be the best fits because they've already had conversation about him. So who knows? I know this. He's a dynamite player still. Um I had thought several months ago he would make sense for the Giants before they made the trade for Darren Waller to make him their potential 1,000-yard passing game target. See, the Giants did not have one, in my opinion, up until the, when they got Waller. I, I did not see a 1,000-yard target on this roster. Then they made the trade for Waller and decided they would go that route, you know, the, the Kelsey-Kansas City route, where sure. the tight end becomes the 1,000-yard threat.
4: And he's already produced the 1,000-yard season. Okay. That's correct.
2: Then they proceeded to make sure they filled out the wide receiver room with 2s and 3s. Okay, I think the Giants came to a fork in the road and decided, you know what? That's the way we're going to go. Instead of trying to go get the 1,000-yard receiver, we're going to get the 1,000-yard tight end and then fill out the rest of the passing game by just improving the receiving core, but not to the level of grabbing a star player since Waller is probably going to be that star player. This might be a good time just to mention... Hodges had a touchdown catch uh, in the back of the end zone today during the OTA, which, by the way, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous morning. Uh, I tie it. Hyatt, Hyatt had a couple of touchdown catches today, showed very soft hands, especially on the second one that was at the end of practice. Uh, and I also uh, had Pimpleton, I wrote down, touchdown catch along the back line, where he really showed his concentration on making the grab. Uh, this is the evidence that we're seeing. This Giants wide receiver room is improved. Again, they did it with the thought that Waller is going to be the, quote, thousand-yard guy.
4: And Hopkins is known for his 50-50 winning battle against defensive backs. We've seen that time and time again. I mean, the most notable catch that he made, if you remember, was with Kyler Murray in the end zone against the Buffalo Bills, that walk-off touchdown. So, you know, that's what he brings to the table. Though, if you look at the Giants' receiving core, they have guys that are vertical threats, specifically Paris Campbell, who they added, in addition to Darius Slayton, who is coming back. It's not like they don't have players who can't stretch the field. It's just Hopkins is unique from the standpoint of, similar to Kenny Galladay, which unfortunately didn't pan out that way, Right. right? But the guy that has the height, the size, and you throw the ball up and you say, hey, we have confidence he's going to win the ball battle. skills correct exactly yeah so he would be sort of a replacement for that now you were alluding to the reports that have been circulating and it was buffalo and kansas city supposedly that there were two teams that wanted to trade for him right they couldn't work it out so now he's a free agent He'd sign with any of the 31 other teams and hopkins has spoken publicly on recent interviews it seems as if the quarterback is going to play a very big role he wants to win, which I don't blame him. Paul, we're talking about he's going to be 31 this season, year 11. Mm-hmm. I would think he'd want to prioritize that. So, you know, there's a lot of different factors. I don't know if money's going to be the end-all, be-all, but in fairness, he was scheduled to make $19 million this year. Mm-hmm. Was non-guaranteed. Something tells me, and, you know, we field calls from – Fans who always you know, want to go through the hypotheticals about could the Giants add this player. At the end of the day, do I think money is the end-all, be-all guiding force? No. But something tells me he doesn't want to play for peanuts.
2: I don't think so either. Yes. In fact, I think it was, um, who was on the other day on Sirius XM NFL? Uh, I think Bruce Murray was hosting. And I can't remember who he was with. It was one of the former GMs. Mark Dominic? I don't think it was Mark.
4: Rick Spielman? Rick Spielman. There you go. I know pretty much that roster very yeah, well. He, so does. I don't have to he does. I don't know why. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I study, actually, the host on that channel. He, he, he's, in he's in
2: that hub, yes. folks, in case you exactly. don't know that. Yes. He was on with Rick Spielman. And I want to say that either Murray or Spielman brought up the conversation about what do you think it would take to bring a Hopkins in. And they were of the opinion, the two of them together came up with, you're probably going to have to give him a uh, $10 million base uh, for for a one-year deal. And then maybe three million or so in incentives I'm with that you could on get him the up to part. about thirteen. Yeah. Okay. I, look, one-year deal like that, I don't see how the Giants would have room to make that happen. Now, if you signed him to a two or three-year deal where you could balloon the payments in years two and three, well, that's perhaps a different story. But if you're just looking to put him on a one-year prove-it deal and give him some type of compensation that he's not going to sneeze at, you're probably thinking it's going to have to be double digits.
4: Yeah, I think incentives is probably going to be the biggest luring factor, especially at this time of the year when, once again, You don't have a number of teams, volume-wise, that have overwhelming cap space. Then again, you can't create cap space. That's not impossible. But I would think you could give him catches, receiving yards, touchdowns. Heck, you could throw in a clause if the team makes the playoffs. You'll give him some extra money, too. So I think they can make it very attractive for Hopkins to ultimately get close to, perhaps, what he was anticipating. So Hopkins is number one on NFL.com's list of the top 12 free agents that are currently available. Let's just... Briefly. I will say go this, ahead.
2: please, from a Giants perspective, go to the AFC.
4: <laughs> please, just go to the AFC. Well, the good uh, news d- is the D-Hop. Bills and the Chiefs are in the AFC if those are the two teams that are very much interested. That would not bother me in the least. However, you know who's on the schedule this year
2: for the yeah, Giants. I'm aware of One of those that. teams.
4: Okay, I'm, I'm aware of that. I just that. wanted you to know, you know, you're not avoiding the AFC, Paul. So I just want to make sure your emotions are kept in check.
2: Could you imagine D-Hop and, uh, and uh, Diggs on the same team? Hmm. that's a problem
4: well what about D-Hop and Travis Kelsey on the same team
2: that's a problem too But you wouldn't be playing them until the Super Bowl. No, and true. I,
4: yes. I could live with that. Okay, that's fine. I understand. But remember, there's other AFC teams that the Giants are playing too. Yes. Not to say that we know, know whether or not they're contenders. But anyway, so a few other players that made this list. And the biggest trend here is there's a lot of pass rushers, Paul, still available. And mm-hmm. veteran pass rushers that we're talking about. And I'm going to go in the order of how NFL.com has it. Yannick Ngakwe, and that's a name that we've brought up on this program with Giants fans weighing in in previous years when he was available, though. And Ngakwe, he is looking at his sixth team in four years.
2: Okay. I'm not going to insult anybody who plays in the National Football League because it takes a certain amount of skill to be able to even get into the NFL and then to stay there. But Ngakwe, to me, has always been half a player. I have never really seen him very interested in stopping the run. I remember one of the, one of the really big-name players, one of the great sack artists of, uh, of the last 20-something years was Simeon Rice. Tampa Bay. Same kind of player. He, Simeon Rice was all about getting after the quarterback, and, and look, if you wanted to run, he was taking those plays off. I've always kind of felt like Nengakwe, who is a tweener in terms of his physical stature, sure. has always been a guy who is not going to be impactful on running plays.
4: But I, impactful in terms of sacks, though. Guy had 19 well, yes. and a half sacks the last two so years. that's
2: So that's, yeah. that's the double-edged sword as to, A, why he stays in the league and why somebody always wants him. But it's always another situation where why nobody wants to keep him. And they're always willing to move on from him because they see a half a player there. There, there, are, there, are, too, there are too many deficiencies in his game.
4: Well, that's why I was going to say. If you remember, I think you and I were together last week where I was talking about teams that have that third pass rusher. Mm-hmm. That could be such a difference. And Gakwe would be the perfect third pass rusher right. on a team. The problem is he wants to get paid i'm sure as one of the top two guys so therefore you can't afford to just say oh we're going to bring you in as the complimentary guy no you're going to pay him as if he's one of your top two guys
2: he's not going to be batman or robin he's going to be alfred the butler well yeah but he's not going to be
4: paid like alfred the (laughs) butler okay (laughs) exactly that's the problem that's the problem so for example if you have the flexibility financially i'd welcome him as a third pass rusher, I mean, that is a very strong guy that you could turn to who you're more than confident could play a number of snaps. But the problem is, to your point, you're going to take a hit in terms of your one defense.
2: Here's the other thing. Because of him being a tweener and being an edge guy, you would have to have a Batman and a Robin that are part of your— at least one of them has to be part of your defensive line. Because if he's going to be on the edge, well, if you've already got a Batman and Robin who are two edge guys, and now he's the third edge— Unless you feel that you can move one of those guys down inside or move them to an inside linebacker spot like like what, what the Cowboys were doing with Parsons for a while. They were rushing him from all different places. Now they're saying this year he's only going to be on the edge. Yeah, and then Who that was knows? countered
4: a little bit, so I don't Whatever. know what to read into that. But the yeah.
2: point being, if your Batman and Robin are stand-up edge rushers, you may not even be enticed by Nagakwe as Alfred the butler, as the third guy. Because it it doesn't necessarily fit very well. Now he becomes just a depth piece. And I don't think that's going to sit well with him.
4: I maybe would throw in Mr. Freeze. I think Alfred the Butler is a pretty low blow. Let's be at least a little fair.
2: No, but at least he's in the house and he's a good guy. Okay. Yeah. Did
4: you want me to go Yes, I would have went evil, and here's why.
2: Oh, because you're so I thought saying, you were going to ask me for Aunt Harriet. No, I mean, come on. Yeah,
4: you know, <laughs> let's have some perspective here. Geez. I mean, I want to keep the analogy moving. No, the reason why I would go evil is because, you know, once again, you pointed out the fact that he's a really good pass rusher, but there's some concerns about run defense. So, you know, sort of half and half. He can right. walk in that gray area. So that makes him Mr. Freeze? Yeah, because he could be in that good or bad area is what I'm uh. saying. You, I'm sticking, would you rather...
2: How about Two-Face?
4: Does that make sense to you? Okay, is that no, more fair? to you? No, I'm sticking
2: with right. good guys. Tommy Lee Jones's character. Batman and remember? Robin have Alfred the Butler, who has been very instrumental in their success. Okay. I'm going with Alfred the Butler. Something tells
4: me if he got wind of this, he wouldn't necessarily agree with... He you. doesn't have to. Well, I'm not saying he does, but I, I don't know if he necessarily would be singing your same tune. Anyway, other pass rushers on our list. Jadevian Clowney, who obviously... Has been a journeyman over the last few years. So often injured. With Cleveland. Oh my god, That's been a concern. Leonard Floyd, who's intriguing, because here's a player that was coming off a knee injury late last Mm -hmm. season, I thought really started to play good football. So if he can get back to full health, you know, Floyd... Is a player that I think could really help a team. Melvin Ingram, up there in age, we're talking about somebody who's 34 years old. But once mm-hmm. again, he's the ideal third pass rusher. If you could bring him in and you limit his snaps, I think he could be extremely effective. Another guy, Frank Clark, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. Right, he's still available. And Justin Houston. Speaking of another former Chief, so I mean, I just listed five, six guys, Paul, who are all in that veteran territory of pass
0: rushers.
2: Houston, in particular, very long in the tooth. No, 34 as well. I, yeah. I just, again, I look at him more in that Connor Barwin mode when the Giants picked him up at the very end, looking for a potential uh, shot of lightning with him. Turned out he was nothing more than a, a, a almost an assistant coach because he really did not get on the field very much, and when he did, he didn't do very much for the Giants. I think Houston's in that category right now. I think he's pretty much baked. Uh, Frank Clark is interesting because... We know how much Spaggs values those kinds of players. Yep. I don't know if that was a money issue or what it was as to why he is no longer with Kansas City. I got to think to myself, if he's got anything left and he's not finding the money he wants on the open market, he'll wind up back in Kansas City. I can
4: see that. I mean, certainly he's had success over the last few years. He knows the system. I do think it was a money issue. I think that's the reason why he's still out there on the market. I mean, there was some chatter about, you know, whether or not they could rework his deal in previous years. So I think that is perhaps a big part of it. Remember, Chris Jones is their big investment on the Mm -hmm. defensive line. Not to say that you can't handle two guys, and they did draft a pass rusher in the first round this year, too. So when you take all that into consideration, that could be a reason why Clark is still out there. So those are the pass rushers. As far as the defensive backfield is concerned, you also have a number of veteran guys that are still out there. Marcus Peters who is a former Baltimore Raven. Mm -hmm. So there's ties there to Wink-Martindale. Bryce Callahan, a slot corner who's been with a few teams, the Chargers and the Broncos. He's still out there as well. And John Johnson, who's a safety, who was with the Cleveland Browns, formerly of the Rams. He's 27 years old. He's another player that is still out there. And then rounding out the group, you have Teddy Bridgewater, who made the list. And relatively high on the list is on the offensive lineman, And they just had one O lineman is Dalton Reisner, formerly of the Denver Broncos. And he's a guy that has remained durable, a lot of quality starts. You know, you could see a team who may lose a guard on the interior around the start of training camp. You know, maybe interest will pick up for him. We always see those late veteran ads on the line, especially if teams feel they're concerned about what they saw maybe in. Mini camp, leading into training camp, or God forbid somebody gets hurt over the course of that month leading into training camp as well. We
2: should throw in a caveat that sometimes these veteran free agents decide not to sign because they don't want to go through some of the obligations that yep. they'd have to go through during the spring and the offseason. And, you know, they'll sign much closer to training camp or even after a couple of weeks go by during training camp because they just feel as though... They're going to be in shape when they come in. They're going to be ready to go. They don't think they need all of these other obligatory situations that you're going to have to do during the offseason. So any one of the guys that you just mentioned, part of it could be their timetable has not come to fruition yet, and they've decided that they're going to sit out for a while and and take their time.
4: Well, we see this all the time, and we've even seen it with the Giants, where you have conversations with free agents that are out there It's a feel-it-out process. You get to know where the player is health-wise. The player tells you what he's thinking about. And then you say, you know what? We'll revisit this at the beginning of July as we inch closer to training camp. Mm -hmm. That's happened more often than not. So I'm completely with you.
2: Let me just throw out there uh, in terms of the corners you were talking about. You know, we've said the Giants have a, a lot of numbers in the secondary, certainly at corner now. And even some at safety. They've got a lot of numbers out there now. And players that can play both positions, too. We know the proven guys who have the track record are McKinney and Jackson. Everybody else in the Giants secondary has either been up and down, you know, with inconsistencies like Darnay Holmes. Okay. Or they don't have much of of a track record. We've seen Pinnock a little bit. We've seen... Uh, obviously in a little bit we we've seen uh, some of flot a little bit you know a lot of guys we've seen a little bit that's not a proven track record that you can necessarily you know put a statue on and say hey this is solid you know there's not going to be anybody tipping over here so there are numbers there i thought today um johnson and banks showed very nice shadowing skills uh, during the uh, the the OTA, we we know that Banks is the number one pick, and there are fans out there who are going to say, "Well, when you take him number one, he's got to start week one." We've had this conversation. I think it was Len, who who joined us a, a week or so ago on the program, and said, "Oh, he's got to start week one, or it's 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 very very bad." Well, obviously that's not the case because whether or not you start the first snap in week one doesn't mean anything it's about who plays more snaps it's about yep. who plays snaps in the fourth quarter who plays snaps down the stretch uh if you wind up i, I remember saying to him hey if he starts week three are you gonna cry he'll see he comes in starts week three maybe starts the next eight years in a row and never misses a game so is that a bust because he didn't start in week one don't get caught up in that part of it you know but ultimately what what the giants need to do is figure out amongst the numbers that they have at secondary and also at wide receiver. Who are going to be those guys that they want to count on? Because the, the, the questions, the inconsistencies, the doubt um, could certainly go either way. I mean, it could tip either way. I mean, you don't know how ready Deontay Banks is going to be. He's a rookie. Rookies will make rookie mistakes. The question is, how many of those rookie mistakes are going to cost you dearly? Some of his mistakes may not cost you very much. Others may lead to a 60-yard touchdown. Sure. Yeah. You just don't know. So, and I, I, you guys know, I was all over Deontay Banks since the combine. I wanted him in the worst way for the Giants. But I'm not going to sit here and say he has to start week one, and if he doesn't, it, it's not good. Maybe he doesn't start to week four or week five. Who knows how long his learning curve is going to take before he's ready to go. Well, but to
4: your point, I mean, even if he's not on the field for the very first play, doesn't mean he's not going to be involved in the game plan and play. No question. So, I mean, to me, that's semantics at the end of the day. If you're going to get that worked up because he's not on the field for the first play, big deal. He still very well could get his fair share of snaps over the course of the game. I think the bottom line is Deontay Banks is going to play this season.
2: I know, uh, is Mark Haynes before your time? No, I, I mean, I'm familiar Remember with Remember Mark Keynes? Yeah. When Mark Keynes was drafted by the Giants in the first round, he was dreadful. His first year with this team, they threw him right into the starting lineup, and he had a very difficult time. And it was just this whole game was just, wow. You were watching this player, and you were saying to yourself, man, oh, man, he better get his head out of his butt because he's all over the place. Well, very shortly thereafter... He became a Pro Bowl corner. And in my mind, he and Mark Collins are two of the best run support corners I've ever seen, not to mention the fact that they could both shadow receivers, get physical rece- with receivers, and did both of them did great jobs of breaking up passes and and thwarting the opposition, covering top-notch guys. But what neither one of them did a great job at was turning the ball over. Neither Collins nor uh, uh, Haynes, were great at making interceptions.
4: Opportunistic.
2: But they did everything else that a top-flight corner had to do. I think Mark Collins should have been in the Pro Bowl at least a couple of years. I I felt like he was cheated during his Giants career. He was one hell of a player.
4: I think if you look at the defensive backfield overall, and this piggybacks off of your point earlier, there's depth there Mm -hmm. on paper. You just don't know how much substance is there right now. That's the thing. And a lot of it, Paul, has to do with injuries to a number of these guys no doubt for example like aaron robinson is still a very intriguing player is he not he is but the problem is i don't know whether or not aaron robinson could get through 16 17 games i can't tell you that
2: i don't know right to me i think aaron robinson to me should be a top contender for the outside spot opposite jackson sure if he's healthy enough to play he should be that guy sure yeah but
4: we don't know Cordell Flott was in and out of the lineup year one. Like him, too. So still a feel-it-out process. And even a guy like Radarius Williams, right, who has the length that makes him valuable. I like his skill set. But he's another guy in and out of the lineup. Barely on the field. So, I mean, we just went through three guys. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about old men here. We're talking about young guys who Mm -hmm. are just starting out their careers. So once again, if... You knew what you were getting out of those three. I think it completely changes the conversation and the evaluation of that position. And that's what we're getting at, essentially.
2: And then the other question becomes, okay, if Darnay Holmes cannot become more consistent and be the, quote, starting slot, who is your next up in the slot? You have any thoughts?
4: It's a good question because a number of the guys that I mentioned who have dealt with injuries, I would say you could perhaps turn to. Here's where maybe a guy like Bobby McCain comes into play, Paul, though. He could. Because remember, he's got experience at slot corner and safety. So that would be my response. As it stands right now, I would say he would be a contender for that. Now, things could dramatically change, but if you wanted to pin me to a wall to get an answer, McCain would be my response.
2: See, based on what I've seen in limited action, I do think that the Giants like flot outside better than they do inside, although a lot of folks thought when he was drafted he'd be yeah. a, a nickel on the inside. I don't think the Giants feel that way. At least to this point, I think they look at him more as an outside guy, and he's a depth guy if he doesn't win the job. I also believe Aaron Robinson is an outside guy. When he was a rookie, they were forced out of necessity to give him some snaps in the slot, and it did not work out very well. He was not comfortable in there at all. And with the kind of length he has, there's no reason why he shouldn't be on the boundary. Sure. So, you know, who is that next guy? Onuare, I think that's yeah. how he says yeah. it. He is. A, he is a boundary guy, a veteran guy that He just brought in. Yep. Uh, Johnson, the other fellow they signed. Leonard Johnson Leonard Johnson okay. who I mentioned earlier had, yep. had some nice shadowing stuff going on today. You know, I think he's a boundary guy. I mean, that's the thing. When you look at the secondary, if you really want to question, where are the giants thin? I'm not so much worried about the numbers that they can bring to either safety spot or the corners. What kind of numbers are they bringing in the slot if Holmes is not the guy on an on a consistent basis? I just don't know who that person is right now.
4: Well, and that's why I'm throwing out a safety because I could see Wink having Pinnock and McKinney or McKinney and Belton as his two main safeties. And mm-hmm. then the third guy he utilizes in the slot. I can at least see a scenario presented, especially if no one at corner Proves to be reliable and in we, that department. We didn't even talk yeah.
2: about the guys they drafted this year,
4: Clark, yeah. Hawkins and Owens. Yeah, but we didn't, we didn't even talk about them. But I think to start, maybe more special teams
2: options. I agree with as you as opposed to defensive backs. I, but but the door is open. Oh, absolutely. there's an open yep. competition for those spots in the secondary. And if for some reason one of those rookies just absolutely breaks the doors down, you're not gonna you're not gonna bench him. No, absolutely. If if, if a guy comes alive uh, out of nowhere and wins the
4: job, you give it to him. Well, also, God forbid, if somebody gets hurt or they lose multiple guys, they may be forced to Well, that happened a few years ago, remember? That's what I'm saying. Well, that's more of a reason why you prepare accordingly in camp. You give them reps. But what I'm saying is I think they have some mountains to climb because of the other players that are a little bit more polished Mm -hmm. and experienced. A few reminders before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Make sure you check out the Giants Auto podcast. You can find that on your favorite podcast platform as well as Giants.com slash podcasts. 2023 NFL schedule is officially out. Single game tickets are on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. And speaking of seats... Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. You can stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app, it's Giants TV, brings original video content, game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. All right, two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. We're also going to get to our impactful free agent additions on offense and defense as we move forward here. Tom is in Stratford and he joins us on BBKL. What's happened, Tom? What do you got for us?
3: Hi, guys. Um, quick questions. Um, last week, um, John mentioned that uh, we needed um, money uh, for the uh, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, to replace players that might get hurt. My question is, when a player gets hurt and goes on the IR, does his salary come off the salary cap?
4: No, not at all. You don't get a breather or a break for that. No, that's why, excuse me, you have to prepare accordingly. I think what you were getting at is GMs always say to themselves they need to put money aside so that they could sign players throughout the course of the season when, unfortunately, you may lose a few guys due to injury.
2: Now, your later on draft choices, not your top guys, but your, your deeper draft choices have what's called a split contract with an injury insurance built in. So, for example, when Shane Lemieux got hurt, Okay, and he goes to IR. Yeah, the, 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 there, is, there is a. He, his salary lowers because he's not on the active roster. He goes to, to IR. The later on draft choices have that clause in their deal. So, in a way, you are saving some money when those guys get hurt. You're not getting penalized the full, the full bucks. But your higher draft choices, that's not the case.
3: And that doesn't seem very fair.
2: <laughs> but, well, but oh, I mean,
4: well. it, Tom, in fairness, though, I mean, I disagree. I think it is fair because then you could have a team that's hammered by injuries and they're now given yes. flexibility with respect to the cap. So the point is, you want a balanced playing field. That's why you can't just scrap it clean and say, oh, once guys are hurt, they no longer count against the cap, and now all of a sudden we're going to give you all this cap space.
2: See, I'm going to counter you, Lance, no. and, and, and Carla, you'll probably like my idea. I suggested this many years ago to the league, and, of course, it was shot down. Uh, I've always felt that if you have an independent medical physician who can say, this guy has a torn Achilles, this guy has, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, an MCL, an ACL, and he's lost for the season. And you're going to have to put him on IR for the year. And that's it. He is gone for the year. He's not coming back. I fully believe there should be some credit that comes back to that team on the cap. You can you, name, name it what you will. You want 50%. You want to get uh, 40%. You want to get 60%. 75%. I mean, you still owe the guy his contract. So cash-wise, he still is is obligated to get paid. But I believe that a team's cap number, they should receive a percentage credit for any player who was ruled out for the season, and not by their own doctors, but by independent league doctors. You put that guy on RIR, he's out for the year. You should be able, as a team, to get, in my opinion, a percentage of that cap number back so it gives you a sporting chance to try to sign a competitive player to take his roster spot. Like, I
4: could live if in the I NBA, do- they have an injury exception. Correct. So, I mean, they could do something like that. But, I mean, I would still put extreme limitations they
2: on have it. it. They have it in the NHL, too. Sure. Yeah, but, I mean,
4: the point is you're not going to give out 10 injury exceptions over the course of the season. You know, maybe you give one or two out. I mean, there's got to oh, be a limit on that. If you lose fine. 10 guys, you can't give an injury fine. exception. No, we for all 10 I guys.
3: Don't, I don't understand. If you got 10 guys who rip up their knees and they're out for the year, I would argue that they should, their complete salaries should be replaceable.
2: Well, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because injuries are part of the game, and the risk of injury is something that's inherent. So you're never going to get... Their, their full credit back for that contract. But I do well, you know think what? I do think a percentage and, and you, we can work out the details at some point with Goodell. We'll get him on the phone. Oh. We'll work out the percentage. I'm sure he's open to that. You know, obviously he doesn't want to do it and, and no, one's, no one seems well, to want to do do it. Well, there's also a union
4: thing too involved too. It's but, not just the commissioner.
2: I, I, but here's the thing. Here's the point. If you want to maintain competitive balance in the league, okay, if you really want to do that, then there should be some cap relief for teams that lose a player for the season due to a drastic injury so that they can maintain some sense of competitive balance by getting a player who has some ability. And they're going to have to be able to afford that player. So they should get a percentage of credit back on their cap. Well, I mean, that's my philosophy. Well, that's why
4: the NFL is telling teams you have to prepare accordingly. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Oh, prepare
2: accordingly. <laughs> well, you have so, to be- so when you get screwed, you get
4: screwed. Well, so- Good well, luck you to just you. said injuries is the nature of the business, though, is it not? So I mean, you're going well, in no. knowing you're going to lose guys. So they make a lot of money. I'm they more about
2: to I'm more about competitive balance than well, I am about seeing teams get screwed by salary I, I, caps. I would
4: argue the NFL creates more competitive balance than any other professional sports league. Because look at the fact that you can see teams go from dead last in the standings one year to first. You can't show me another league that does that as consistently. In the NBA, hockey maybe a little bit. NBA, though, it's very top-heavy. So, I mean, I think overall, the NFL does a pretty good job maintaining competitive balance. All right, Tom. Yeah. No, real quick, what, what does um, you have?
3: Um, well, um, it was, this is more an observation, and I wanted to see if you guys agreed with this. It seemed to me last year Evan Neal didn't get a lot of help uh, with some of these speed rushes on the side. It never seemed like they really used a tight end to chip the guy or or a back. I don't know. That just seemed to be my observation. I was wondering if you guys felt the same way. And uh, and I'll get off the line. So All right, Tom. Person can call. Yep.
4: Appreciate the call.
2: I don't keep track of how many snaps uh, help is given to a tackle. Uh, it's not one of the categories I keep. But Evan Neal uh, went through an awful lot last year. Knee and other appendages <laughs> and and body parts that were badly beaten up. I mean, excuse me, all he had to do was go into the locker room during the week and see how many different body parts he had taped up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and how slow he would move uh, through the locker room. So in addition to dealing with the rookie learning curve, which clearly impacted him, this guy was also fighting a lot of bumps and bruises, a lot of physical ailments, more so than than you might think. And it all, it all kind of um, accumulated into him having a tougher season than he would like. He won't talk about it. The coaches won't talk about it. Nobody wants to make excuses. That's just not the way players are. But... I, I'm I'm anxious to see him not only in his second season when he's learned more but also when hopefully he'll be a lot healthy um, my my film review I had him down for nine sacks during the season um, I'm looking at my chart now I mean I don't know four in the last month and a half uh, I think what's interesting about it is when when I when I look at my chart, and I see edge, 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 edge consistently when he was beaten for sacks. It was because of the edge. And, you know, against speed rushers, when you're banged up, it's, it's going to show up a little bit more. Hard to recover. Yeah. It really is. And quite frankly, too, the other thing is he's got to learn this. And this is year two now. His footwork. There were times when he would he would not be in perfect balance, because his footwork was was getting was getting lost a little bit. Uh, he'd cross up a little bit, and these that technique-wise, the biggest problems that I thought he had technique-wise were his footwork, and his punch wasn't consistent enough. Those are things that Bobby Johnson is trying to clean up. Okay, and and that's coaching. It's up to them now. They've seen on tape what he did as a rookie. Now they got to clean it up. They got to get the polish out, and they got to use the elbow grease, and they got that got to get that cleaned up. The physical ailments is just something you hope he's healed from, and that he's a better player for it.
4: Well, and also, once again, more experience under his belt, too. You know, there's things that you're going to struggle with as a rookie that hopefully you absorb, you digest, and you're able to then work on your fundamentals, just like Andrew Thomas. You know, I'm not saying they're identical in terms of their trajectories, Paul, but Thomas went through the same thing, right? Injuries Mm -hmm. early in his career, had his ups and downs. When you saw him get back to full health, and he also fine-tuned his technique, you saw a jump in his production, consistency-wise. So we'll get a better feel for where Neal is in terms of his development, assuming we could see him at full health for the majority of this upcoming season. You
2: know, he only got beat for a sack on a bull rush once all year by Brandon Graham of Philadelphia. That's it. Once. That that shows you that at least physically, power wise, strength wise, size-wise, he can hold the point of attack, you're not going through Evan Neal. All right, let's make that very clear. He got he got beat, he got beat on the outside off the edge, and a couple of times he got beat on an outside then underneath inside rush, which was about athleticism. Yeah, uh, did that to him, and Reddick did that to him. Okay, every other sack. Uh, let's see, Weaver did an, an edge and under. Burns did an edge and under. Otherwise, it was all. It was again. This was about elusiveness. This was about quickness. Either guys getting them off the edge, yeah. or getting the edge and under move. And you know that stuff, technique wise, he's got to clean up. But again, health should give him a better chance to be able to stick with those guys when he's not lumbering around because he's got all these injured appendages.
4: Speaking of making a jump, whether it be an individual or helping the team. I want to get to the other topic that we wanted to discuss today, and if you look at all the Giants free agent additions, and we're not talking about trades, we're just looking at free agent signings. Offense, defense, one player on each side of the ball that has the potential to make a significant impact. So, we'll start with offense, and the volume is a little bit higher, I would argue, on the defensive side of the ball, in terms of the number of players, but on offense, really, I think all sides point to wide receiver because the two guys that they added, at least through free agency, you have Paris Campbell, you have Jamison Crowder. You know, those were the two additions from that standpoint. Outside of wide receiver, in fairness, Paul, you really don't have a lot of big splashes in other positions, right? Not at quarterback, not at running back. Tight end, Waller was a trade. Bellinger's already here. I mean, no offense. I don't think Tommy Sweeney is going to be your choice. No,
2: no. In terms of headline grabbers, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, even Jeff Smith is not a headline grabber.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's a choice between Paris Campbell and Jamison Crowder, unless there's another candidate that you think we could throw out. No. So this is really a two-man race, and I think Paris Campbell has the edge over Crowder just because Campbell, I think, has an opportunity to contribute much more on offense Than Crowder does, and Campbell has the speed to stretch the field. And he is coming off a breakout campaign in his final year of his rookie deal with Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. We finally saw, it's actually somewhat similar to the conversation we're having about Evan Neal. Campbell, the problem was injuries, was always in his way. He's the first one to admit it. It came together last year because he remained on the field.
2: And I think, you know, when you look at a guy like Campbell, his versatility is going to be really important. Because this coaching staff, especially Kafka uh, under Dable, they want their receivers to play all three positions. Now, not every team does that. They'll say they want their guys to be versatile. Maybe the guy can play one or two of the receiver spots. The Giants seem to be really sold on the fact that we want to be able to play any of the receivers at any of the three receiver spots. And Campbell has shown that ability. He can be the X, the Y, or the Z. That will help him.
4: As far as the defensive side of the ball, as I mentioned, far more options to evaluate. And I think linebacker and defensive line are the two spots here because you have Bobby Okereke who comes over, coincidentally, like Paris Campbell from the Colts. And then I'm not willing to overlook run stoppers because, Paul, we talked about this. This offseason, the team prioritized shoring up the run defense. And they go out, they get Nacho. And Sean Robinson, who is a late addition. So I think there's three really strong candidates who you can each make an argument that all of them could very much have an impact. I'm going to go with Nacho as perhaps the biggest free agent mm. splash on the defensive side of the ball to make an impact because Nacho, I think, gives you a little bit more of the pass rush over Sean Robinson. I'm not saying he's a monster guy, but I think he's going to be very active up front and will take full advantage of the presence of Dexter Lawrence.
2: The interesting thing for me is that Okereke, over the last two years, has had 150 tackles. Two years ago, 130 sure. tackles. So he comes in with similar stat lines to what Blake Martinez had done when he was in Green Bay and, of course, came to the Giants. And that first year with the Giants, Martinez played at a Pro Bowl level. Okay, things went south afterwards, certainly because of injury. But O'Kerake, to me, I would not at all be surprised if he put up another 150 tackle season. And if he does, regardless of what either of those two defensive linemen put up, you're not going to be able to sneeze at a guy who puts up 150 tackles.
4: And O'Karake will be able to clean up whatever the defensive line does not. And he's a
2: three-down backer. Sure. He will be on the field full-time.
4: No. Okereke, it's not as if I'm dismissing him. I'm with you there. I can absolutely see him making a significant impact. I'm just, I'm focusing more on if you go back to last season, and Okereke does help with the run defense. I'm not Mm. faulting him on Mm -hmm. that. But I think what really hurt, though, the Giants more is, Paul, guys were getting to the second level. Would you agree with that? No doubt. Okay, so you weren't slowing them down at the initial point of attack. So you bring in a guy like Nacho and A'shaun Robinson. Now you're hoping, okay, you're getting some hits on the running backs, once they collide with the line, and then you're not needing the linebackers to do as much cleanup work as needed to be showcased last season. I guess that's where I'm coming from in terms of my mindset.
2: That's understood. I I will say this, and this is an interesting part that I think is important because people looked at the Giants last year and said, well, the defense gave up over five yards of carry, which in most instances is just a very, very painful number. No defense wants to do that. However, I do think there was another factor involved, and it wasn't just about the players. It was about the scheme. Wick Martindale admitted several times during the season he was playing a much lighter defense, extra defensive backs on the field because of the Giants' personnel. Okay? He knew that. So he was willing to give up, and I use this term very loosely, willing to give up. No coordinator wants to give up. you got to make
4: sacrifices, essentially. That's what you're getting He
2: was robbing Peter to pay Paul. He wanted to make sure that he could still send his pressure after a quarterback, and we talked about this on the show last week. I don't think you were here, Lance, or were you, when we talked about pressure? I may have been in that conversation. A lot of these things blur together. The Giants, I think we were. Giants had 41 sacks, I think, last yeah, year. You and I have been here for time. And they were like 17th in the league or whatever in sacks. But in, in quarterback pressure, pass rush, which is hurries, quarterback hits, and sacks. Yes, we did have that They were top 10 in the league. Yep. So remember, talking about pass rush is not just about sacks. So Wink said, I'm going to steal from the rush defense because I want A to make sure my pass rush is top 10, which he did, and B, I want to make sure that we have enough of speed guys on the field who can cover to prevent us from necessarily giving up too many long touchdowns, quick strikes, and big plays that are going to put our offense in too much trouble. So he was willing to rob from Peter to pay Paul. So the rush defense suffered. Now, at the same time, what happened in the red zone? Giants had a pretty good red zone defense last year. Why is that? Because Wink then decided, okay, in the red zone, now we got to tighten things up. we got to be more stout. And we're inside the red zone or they're inside the red zone. Can't give up touchdowns. So Wink took the best approach he could to try to help this team win games. So the 5.2 rushing yardage per carry number is inflated because he adopted a philosophy – that he thought would would be more beneficial to the team's overall success. And he was able to execute it to a T. That's why the Giants won nine games, and that's why they went to the second round of the playoffs. So I can't argue with what he did. Now, again, the big wart in the room is the 5.2 yards per carry on the ground. He was willing to accept that.
4: Well, because once again, it's the end result that you're consumed by. That's it. Right? For example, you could see a running back, he can get big chunks of yardage, and then all of a sudden, if you're much more disciplined in the red zone and you're holding them to field goals as opposed to touchdowns, that's something that you could live with. Mm -hmm. The problem is, though, and this goes back to conversations you and I have had, you can't assume that just because it worked one season, it's now going to carry over and work again for the next season. And
2: you and I both know that philosophy that Wink used was born out of necessity because of what he had to work with. And so that's what he did. It wasn't because he necessarily wanted to give up 5.2 yards on carry. Sure. Everybody will tell you football 101. Run the ball. Stop the run. Be tough in the trenches. We all know that. That's the core belief of this game. But there are always going to be unique circumstances where you have to find an alternative road to grandma's house. I talk about this all the time. There are more than one way, more than one way to get to grandma's house. And there's like nine ways to skin a cat, right? Sometimes you got to use one of the unconventional methods. You may not want to, but you know, that's the best way to make it work. So you do it. Though the preferred
4: method is over the river and through the woods. You would agree. It is. Okay. That's the one that you want. It is. But sometimes you may not be able to rely but on But if that.
2: you can't get over the river because you don't have a boat and there's no bridge, well then you know what? Don't go over the river. Go a different way.
4: Well, once again, you got to be creative, though, to be able to navigate. I actually chart, not that this is the tell-all of how a season plays out, but I chart how many 100-yard rushers the Giants give up each season, and they wound up surrendering six times one individual player having over 100 yards. And remember, average yardage per carry is sometimes a better indication, but, you know, The common element, though, is, and this is where I think the run defense is critical, three of those runners were in the division, Paul. And that's where you want to clean that up. Tony Pollard, and Pollard had 105 yards on 13 carries. Miles Sanders, 144 yards on 17 carries. I mean, all these guys were excellent in terms of yards per carry. And then Kenneth Gainwell, 12 carries, 112 yards. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is the red flag. You want to have that philosophy, that's fine, but... The divisional games, which are so critical in order to have a pathway to try to secure a playoff spot— and you know that Dallas is still going to pound the football Remember, Mike McCarthy's come out this offseason saying they may even run the ball more. We know what Correct. Philadelphia could do regardless of the changing of the guard with respect to their personnel because Miles Sanders is not there anymore, but they got Gainwell. They brought in Rashad Penny. And the offensive line is still there. Correct. And then, you know, I wouldn't also sleep on Washington. You know, Washington has a few backs too. You know, maybe not as killer track record-wise as Dallas at Philly, but the point is you've got to have the personnel. And even Joe Shane has talked about this. You want to construct your roster to have success within the division. You don't just abandon Mm -hmm. that. So that, to me, is going to be something to monitor this season. How do they fare run defense-wise against those three teams?
2: Well, the only two comments you need to make off of that is, number one, that was the successful plan to get the Giants into the playoffs in 2022. 2023 is a whole new ballgame. It is a different season. Adjustments will be made. And if you think you can use one of these unconventional game plans or philosophies like you did two years in a row like you did last year, no. that's, That's a shot in the dark. You can get away with it for one year. It's very hard to use an unorthodox philosophy to get away with it two years in a row. And I think the Giants know that, hence they signed two defensive linemen and a middle linebacker in free agency. Yeah, well, they went out, they
4: identified their issues, and then they made sure that they were going to plug in those holes. That I think was, that was crystal clear.
2: That, that just as much as uh, Tay Banks was a gift for Wink Martindale in the draft, those three free agency signings, Uh, Those were early Christmas presents on the 2023 Christmas list for Wink Martindale.
4: Well, I would go so far to say, and I know it's still early in the season, not to say that I don't think Banks is going to have an impact, but I'd probably lean towards the three guys we just talked about. When it's all said and done, having far more of the opportunity to put their stamp on the Giants' season than necessarily Deontay Banks. Especially because
2: he's a rookie. Yeah.
4: Well, but also taking into consideration the conversation you and I just had about the run defense. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the old story. If you don't shore up the run defense, you're going to leave those corners out to dry, okay? So Mm -hmm. you want to help Deontay Banks' cause? You want to make sure his rookie season is somewhat
2: smooth? And by the way, he's physical against the run.
4: He comes up and makes plays. And he's going to be needed in that department. But Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it more of when he's going to match up against top-tier wide receivers. Right the down and distance is going to change how he fares I in that department. That's All why
2: right. the game is such a spider web. Yep. Everything is intertwined.
4: The entanglement, yes. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Phil in North Carolina joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Phil? What do you got for us?
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for the show. Good, as always. Thank you. Um, thanks for tuning in. Sure, sure. Before Before I get into my main point, uh, I, you know, I haven't had time to comment on the draft, and I, I just love the, you know, how how this off front office is thinking, the types of players they're bringing in on, you know, prioritizing the first round. You know, for example, we got a edge, offensive tackle and cornerback. You know, three of the most critical, highly paid positions. So, uh, kudos to Joe, Shane, and company. Um, my main point is. The uh, I was looking at football outsiders, which uh, I love the advanced stats some of these guys have. And it was pretty interesting. They had this analysis where they were looking at essentially size of the defensive line and how much uh, they, a particular size, the average size, played. And it showed the Giants uh, as like one of the biggest defensive, uh, defensive lines. And it showed, in contrast, it showed, talk about our division, you know, Dallas is a small defensive line. And even the Eagles, I was surprised, has a pretty small defensive line. You know, who knows what they're characterizing as lines, if it's interior and edge or is it Well, some, and also, are we talking
4: about, effect? Phil, are we talking about height? Are we talking about weight? I mean, what do they mean yeah, when they say size?
3: Yeah, they actually did both. They actually okay. did, it's called a SWW, which is a snap, snap weighted weight, okay? And then the other one was height, snap height. Um, I think it was S-H, something else, S-W-H. So S-W-W-S-W-H. And, what, and they looked at both. So what was the conclusion? And it was then? fascinating. Well, the Giants have just played a lot of bigger guys. <laughs>
4: oh, it's under, I mean, Dexter Lawrence is a, a pretty big guy the last time I checked. So that will help uh, swing the numbers in their favor.
3: Yeah, exactly. But so, and so uh, I thought that was interesting. Of course. You know we had trouble with you know Dallas and Eagles line because of probably you know more related to speed than and mentality. Uh, yeah right sure. sure so it made it made a lot of sense, and so the other part i I guess to follow up on uh is the the heights and the weights on the roster. I was looking at them after I saw that graph, and uh just to kind of confirm what the graph was saying and is it <laughs> Would you say are the roster heights and weights are pretty accurate? I know you were talking about T. Banks uh, a couple of weeks ago about if he was a true six-two or not. Would you say that's pretty accurate? And they're using the data from the uh, from the Giants' website to to uh-huh. use to analyze that.
4: I mean, I don't know. You're talking about the website that you were checking out. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to speak to the people that run the website. I don't know if they're looking at combine results for the younger guys. They're looking at team websites. Who knows? I mean, heights and weights are going to fluctuate depending yeah. on the time of the year. That Wait,
2: weights, not not heights, but weights will fluctuate even week to week. Guys weigh in every yeah. week. Sure. Yeah. And there are some guys who have actually contract incentives based on what their weekly weigh-in is going to be. So anybody who, who looks at a website roster or a team issued roster and thinks that those numbers are always going to be true every day of the season is fooling themselves. Yeah, I will tell you yeah. this: the <laughs> average height of a defensive lineman in the NFL is six three and a quarter, and the uh, average weight is about three hundred and five pounds. If that makes right. any okay. sense to you,
3: no, it does, compared to what you were talking about, we were. Yeah, I think we were weighing in at uh, like. Three, I think we, our weight, snap weight was like 312
2: or something. The three, 309. 309 is the average yeah. weight. My mistake, 309. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, we were coming in like 312, and I think some of the smaller guys were like Dallas was at 305. So, okay, good. Good stuff. And, and I think your point is well taken, uh, uh, Paul, and, you know, there's inaccuracies there. The question is if the inaccuracies are consistent, among all the teams, then the errors in all those teams. And then the analysis should be still be accurate. So, uh, well, I mean, you know, once again, yeah, you,
4: you got it. Appreciate the call. I mean, you're at the mercy of whoever you're relying on that records that data. And I don't know if you looked at the 31 other teams, how often they're updating their websites. Do they wait till training camp when all the guys report? Who knows? I mean, that's why I wouldn't read into these mathematical equations so much. And, the other thing, just real quick, Paul, before you jump in, and I, I think the last caller was alluding to this, you can have the biggest lineup humanly possible, but athleticism and speed can help counter that. <laughs> no so that's doubt. why that really doesn't no necessarily doubt. guarantee automatic success just because you may have the tallest or the humongous players on the defensive front.
2: You know, then again, there'll be players who will tell you that over the course of a year, let's say during an off-season program, like Jason uh, Jalen Hyatt has already said to me, He plans to play at 190, and he played in the mid-170s at Tennessee. I believe the Giants right now have him waiting in at 185. But he plans on being 190 by opening day. So, you know, what does that mean? It means the numbers are kind of – anybody who's putting a lot of stock in these numbers that are on the roster really is doing themselves a disservice. Just look at the tape. See if the guy can play. 100%. Okay? Now, Now, I will say this as someone who does have a preference for taller receivers and i've said this before you know 511 is about as small as, as as i'd like to go on a receiver if i were drafting but i don't get to make those decisions because i do not draft but guys who are in the 59 and 510 range you know they probably would not be on my team i do know you you need to have one smurf to be able to play slot okay i could i could deal with one of those guys uh, in the room one I would want the rest of my receivers to be all probably six one and up. That's just the way. That's just the way I prefer. It. I, I like skyscraper receivers. Yeah, to each their own. I mean, nobody's right. wrong for having. And a And that's preference. exactly the point. Yeah, from that standpoint, nobody's wrong. Remember the uh, the Smurfs uh, when um, when the Houston Oilers played and Warren Moon was their quarterback. They had a bunch of Smurfs in the run and shoot offense. Kevin Gilbride was running that offense for Warren Moon, and they were all small guys.
4: Well, I mean, I was going to bring up you go even more recent. Look at New England with Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola. Mm-hmm. Were those sure. guys huge? Sure. I mean, did they not make huge plays, big plays down the stretch? Absolutely. So, I mean, that's why my common phrase is there are so many players, even in basketball, to bring it into the conversation, that play bigger than their frame. Mm-hmm. So that's why it all goes back to the film. Don't show me a bunch of
2: numbers on paper, right? How many times have you seen a basketball guy? Seven, five. He could barely move. Wingspan and arm length is a very critical factor because you can play bigger than what you are if you have a longer arm length wingspan. That's a, that's a big deal. Akeem Nix was only, I think, 6'2". He played like he was 6'4". Yeah, and that's you what know? matters. And 6'2 is a good size, but he played like he was 6'4". Yeah, well,
4: if you can get a little bit more out of the frame, you, you'll gladly take it. Speaking of trying to get something out of this next caller, as we have to go over time oh, no. just to accommodate this. Oh, no. Charlie's in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie?
1: <laughs> hey, Lance. I know you guys are on the clock here. Yes, sir. Well, I'm hey, glad you we-
4: realized that. I don't have to remind you, then. How convenient.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, Paul, how come we're always stealing from Peter to pay you? It's You should turn that around a little bit. <laughs>
2: Nobody steals from me, otherwise they lose their fingers.
1: <laughs> hey, look, I I I agree with you. We'll on, steal from
2: uh...
4: Charlie to pay Craig. How about that? Should that be the new one? Does that fit? <laughs> yeah, Bill. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. I, I I don't know. It's just pretty convenient saying, right, Paul? Yes, sir. Hey, look, I I agree with you on the uh, you know look on the uh, injured players and look. If I if I'm paying billions of dollars and I'm a CBS or whoever Fox or uh, YouTube TV and and all the these players are injured and and we're, we're getting a game that is just pathetic because all the all the star players are injured and they had they didn't have the money to bring in better players or or players to at least be competitive I, I I would say I don't want that I. I think the league should do something like that. Don't they want competitive games? I mean, just uh Third quarterback. Finally, they figured it out. Mm-hmm. We better have an emergency quarterback Correct. or the play's going to look like crap in mm-hmm. and, and CBS, and all these guys are saying, What are you doing? Everybody's turning the channel. Sure, so, but though, I mean, that was extenuating
4: circumstances, though, in fairness. You're referring to the NFC Championship game, and also, there's no guarantee that even if the Niners had a third quarterback available, that their offense would have fared any better. But I agree, you should be able to turn to at least somebody that could play the position. you got to
2: wonder me. if Denver, when they had the situation during COVID and they had no quarterbacks. Once again, okay? extenuating circumstances. It, but again, if the rule is in place where you have some salary cap relief to go get somebody, that never would have occurred. Sure,
4: but also I think we need to be realistic that even if you do have the financial flexibility, there's a reason why guys are still out on the market when we get to week 10 of the NFL season, okay? You're not Mm -hmm. getting a savior is my point. So where I disagree with you, Charlie, is first of all, the networks have some flex scheduling that's built in. So that's one thing that the NFL does to protect itself, to your point, if they're caught with a team late in the season does not meet expectations. So they've built that in to protect themselves. But number two, Even if you're hammered by injuries and you had the financial flexibility, to think that you're going out and getting 10 caliber players that are going to all of a sudden change the luck and outlook of your team, I think, is extremely a stretch of an assumption. Yeah, but
1: you might might get five. Good players, or at least decent players, instead of some guys off the practice squad who haven't even played at all. Yeah, but the
4: guys on the practice squad know your system, though, don't they? You know, they've been with you the entire season. I'd rather bump up a practice squad guy who's been with me and give him a chance than bring a guy off the street that hasn't been with the team, doesn't know my offense, doesn't know my defense. You have to count for that. If you don't know the system, you're limited in terms of what you could do on the field. I,
2: I don't want to waste too much time on this, but Lance, if the guy's out for the season, that veteran you bring in, it may only take him two to three weeks exactly. to be able to pick up enough and then he's going to give you better quality play than a practice squad promotion Well, but, that,
4: but that's fine but if we're talking about you're talking about a game
2: that is coming up on sunday and you well, lose a guy on tuesday you, you're, it's not gonna make a difference no but that's that's totally missing the point i'm talking about when you have to replace a guy who's out for the year i'm not talking about just water breath what about this week Sure. That's, that's, no, a, that's a not we- that impactful. No, a few weeks down the road, the guy could get familiar with your system.
4: Sure. I'm not going to disagree you know, with you there. But when a, when,
2: a, when a starting caliber player is lost for the season, if you could have some salary cap relief, you yeah. have a better chance of bringing in a veteran who is going to be more competent over the course of, of those missed games. Yeah. that could give you better quality football. Yeah, but once again, that's yeah. that's where no, I'm and, coming and,
4: from, and I'm with you. It's just you need time for that to develop. Is my point.
2: Okay, so uh, it takes a few weeks. Big okay, deal. but but you may have. But they should have the right to do it. Well, and you do if you have nope, the No, financial... they don't right now. Wait, you can't grab a guy in free agency. <laughs> no, if you no, what lose I'm a saying player? is you're not giving them any percentage salary cap relief to go do that. Look, yeah. there was a time when the I remember that when you're course. I was with him in the parking lot going out to practice. And and Ernie and I was talking to Ernie and I said Ernie, you know, you don't have a punter this week, do you? He goes, no, I don't have any salary cap money. I can I don't have a punter. Fiegel's gonna have to punt. Yeah. Well, I mean, but those rules have been in
4: place forever, though. Is the point? The NFL's operated like yeah, that. Yeah, but forever. But the, What new. I'm saying, and just, just because
2: you know. they've been in place doesn't mean they're not broken. No. They should. They should fix this. Well, it's broken I, and it has been broken ever since the cap was involved.
4: Well, but you know what? I look at the team like the Eagles in 2017. They lost almost half their roster and still managed to win the Super Bowl. And if you go back, they were not signing 15 guys off the street. They maximized their roster. That's my point. They prepared accordingly. And I would say teams should Lightning know that a that, bottle. that could happen. Lightning in a bottle. Well, it may not happen every year. Charlie, but I'm sorry to say I agree with you again. We're on the same <laughs> page. You guys <laughs> okay, agree guys. with one another. Have a great day. We're, we're having a conversation. There's nothing wrong with different Opinions on opposite ends of the spectrum. At the end of the day, that's uh, that's allowed.
3: There's well, nothing the, wrong the, with that.
2: The, the league doesn't seem to have any inclination to change it. Well, so obvi- exactly. obviously, <laughs> you and them are are uh, you know fitting like uh, like puzzle no, pieces. I, I just God bless. No, I, I just, I just think it's I think it's something that's broken and should be fixed.
4: Well, I mean, listen, it, it's something that maybe we could see change down the road. I just I think teams. The memo has been out early enough for them to realize you have to think of the worst case scenario before the season starts. You have to think about, you may lose 10 guys who are impactful. What are you going to do under those circumstances? And you can't think about that in November. You have to think about that in August. That's what the league is telling people. Okay. So, you know, who does that most effectively winds up surviving the season the best. All right. That's going to wrap up. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in as today's episode is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. We're back up and running again tomorrow at 1230 p.m. Eastern for Paul DeTino. I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. And we'll speak to you right here
0: on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble.
4: more details.